we are recording, recording in progress with Dr. William Burns, author of UFOs and the White House. What did our presidents know and when did they know it? And also, you uh, you wrote uh, The Day After Roswell, is that correct? Yeah, I did. I read that years before I started the podcast. 20, yeah, 20 years ago. Yeah, no, I love that one. And uh, yeah, I, I noticed it when you started because there's a common thread uh, in, in that book and in this book. And this book will be in the description for everybody. Go grab it. And it was the it was the dissemination of the alien technology into the U.S. private sector. And I remember where I, I was at a Valero gas station in, I think, December 2018, listening to A Day After Roswell on an audiobook. And I just... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply remember that one part and then and then reading this it popped back into my head and then i looked you up and i was like well of course but with that dr burns please introduce yourself to everybody hi my name is bill burns i am um a new york times best-selling author for day after roswell uh, i'm a professor of english uh and an attorney and i hold um political office in the state of pennsylvania so you know, a couple of weeks ago, and for everybody listening, today is March 1st, 2023, just for future listeners. A couple of weeks ago, we had the balloon shoot downs, but we only saw one. Is there any evidence that any of those others were uh, UFOs? Not ne doesn't necessarily mean of alien origin, just unidentified, and that I think the F-22 pilot said it did disrupt their uh, their sensors? Right. One of the pilots, uh, it was an F-35 pilot, okay. who said that he was observing... He flew over it to observe it, and he said somehow it affected his sensors. Now, I mean, are we saying that it's an alien craft that interferes with um, radio waves? No. Let's just say the balloon was doing its own sensor work, its own surveillance work. It could have been a weather balloon. It could be testing for something else, particles in the atmosphere. Um, and that device interfered with what the sensors on the plane were looking at in terms of a passive device. It was not a passive device. So that's really what the pilot was saying. Okay. Um, and why, why do you think we've seen really in the last three years a ramping up of, uh, of authoritative voices discussing UFOs? And again, be them alien craft or be them undisclosed uh, black budget projects why do you think we've seen that and you you mentioned in the book the um you know uh, about about the attacks you know up and down or on you know the battle of los angeles or pearl harbor or the fire balloons right. and it was to get right. everyone on a war footing and become more pliable to things like interning japanese citizens why are we seeing this now i think for a cup for a variety of reasons. And here are the reasons. One, with the advent of um, smartphones with built-in cameras, 
with the internet, with YouTube, with all of the social media, um, when Billy Bob sees a UFO in the middle of the woods in Arkansas and goes to the newspapers and said, I saw a UFO and little creatures, everybody laughs. Yeah. Remember Ed Walters in Gulfstream, Florida, back uh, 30, 40 years ago, claimed he was being almost beamed up to a UFO and everybody was laughing. You're a hoaxer. You're this, you're that. Then they found out that it was true. But so now with the advent of social media, there's no longer a chorus of naysayers or there's no longer this uh, uh, this um, hill of doubt that you have to pass by in order to um, tell your story. Now, the difference is that you just show the, the photo, show the picture, show the video, and suddenly a wide variety of people are seeing what you've seen. Mm -hmm. Same with YouTube. Um, maybe you didn't take a picture, but you had a sighting. So you take a sighting and now you're on YouTube explaining the sighting and you're reaching maybe a hundred thousand people and it's being retreated and retreated and retreated. So that's one reason it is. It's the old song. The night has a thousand eyes. And that's what you're seeing in terms of all these objects turning up on on video. The second is maybe even because maybe even because of the first reason that the government is saying, look, you deny a YouTube, you deny this video, you look really stupid. What do you say? Um, a mistake has been made. No. What you say is, OK, now you have to concede that what people are seeing is an anomalous object. Do you try to explain it? No. You say it's the sensors, it's the this, it's the that. And you just say, look, we don't know where it's from. We don't think it's alien, but it could be. We don't know. And that's what you're seeing right now. So all these various committees investigating these UFO sightings are saying the exact same thing. Yes, it's there. Yes, we can't identify it or, or no, we can't identify it. We don't know what it is. We'll shoot it down if it's interfering with planes, but we don't know. Could be extraterrestrial, but we don't know. And that's what you're getting from the government. And there's also that idea of, uh, and I, this idea no longer works in light of the, the, the Chinese spy balloon, but um, the idea of sovereignty, right? Open skies, those agreements is, you know, absent that you, you can't be shown to, to have something go throughout your your airspace unmolested, especially if you're the you know the global hegemon, you are the U.S. military, you can't have that thing running roughshod around your skies, making you look like an idiot. You got to say, yeah, it's classified. Of course, of course. And and the other thing you do is this: it's a political thing. Sure. I mean, can you imagine people in one party sitting still watching a balloon pass overhead? while people are taking their shotguns and BB guns and AR-15s <laughs> and their fire balloon. So what do you tell the Chinese? Gee, sorry, but some guy in Texas sat your balloon down. No, you take responsibility. You bring down the balloon, but you bring it down safely. Sure. I mean, what he did. But once you've done that, once you've bitten the political bullet, mm -hmm. Then every other balloon has to go down. Yeah. 
because you make a distinction and say, oh, well, that's a good balloon. That's a bad balloon. Yeah. Got to go, especially when they drift down to 40,000 feet, which is in the flight lane. And in and to play devil's advocate in, in Biden's defense, I mean, they could have been doing something classified with the balloon that we don't know. You know, they might not necessarily say, hey, we're testing some futuristic uh, encryption hacking and we are this is a gold mine for us. We're seeing how the Chinese work. You can't say that. So it might be, hey, you got to trot out there and look weak. But the reality is, is this could have in 50 years, we might find out that this was a total coup for the U.S. We don't know. Right. And then the other thing is your spending. Look at the spending. Let's say the balloon is what, a hundred bucks for the for the balloon. You're spending um, a half a million bucks. Yeah. A sidewinder missile is almost five hundred thousand dollars a shot. You're spending that. And one actually missed. You know, talk about <laughs> waste of money. But you're spending a half a million bucks every time to shoot down a hundred buck balloon. Yeah. No, very good point. And you could even say, you know, we got a billion dollars of counterintelligence out of that. But you can't say right. it's classified, right? So that's unfortunately the president will often have to do that where they have to go save face and yeah, we we didn't do that, we failed here because they can't acknowledge something else going on. And that's that's not conspiracy. That's that's proving US history. Right. right. Um, that's, I want to pick your brain on. So what do you think about the, the 2004, the, the, the Tic Tac off the Nimitz? What, what was that? Was that some skunk work stuff? Well, my theory is that it was, and for a couple of reasons, one, it didn't seem to show any aggressive, um, maneuvers toward the Navy jets, toward the um, Navy Hornets that were flying after it. That was one. Two, what it didn't do, it didn't do what the actual UFOs did in 1952 when they invaded Washington, yeah. D.C. It didn't try and break a radar lock. It was almost cavorting as a performance for the Navy pilots. And what we notice is this. One, it seems to be spinning. Two, the water underneath First, it's going in and out of the water. So it's not just a, um, a flying object. It's a submersible object. Then what you notice is that the water underneath the craft is roiling and boiling. It's spinning around. So obviously, there's some energy from the craft hitting the water. Is it electromagnetic energy? What is it? We don't know. But if it's a strange unidentified craft. What I want to know is why the pilots are laughing. Hmm. I mean, that to me is the, I mean, given the strangeness of the object and the fact there are no um, <clears throat> control surfaces on it, there are no lift surfaces on it. Um, given that, no, no lights on it. Given that, why are the pilots laughing? I mean, you would think that a strange unidentified object entering into classified airspace over a naval base in San Diego over the aircraft carrier. Yeah. Over Navy ships in the midst of an F-18 squadron. Wouldn't you think that was a hostile act? Yeah. Certainly wasn't the Russians, wasn't the Chinese. Who was it? Well, 
That's why I tend to think that the Navy pilots recognized something about it. And the joke was, we ain't telling. That's on the one hand. Here's the other hand. Who gave the approval to release those videos? Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's not the pilot who can say, oh, I'm going on YouTube. I mean, how to end a career in 30 seconds, right? Yeah. You, you have to have approval. You have to have an okay from your CO to um, put that video up. And the videos also came approved from the government. So it had to go up the line for the Navy command, up the line for the Pentagon command, up the line for who runs it. It goes up above the Secretary of Defense and goes to the president. And who is the president? Trump. Was that when they came out? Oh, Obama was. When did the... Barack Obama. Okay. And Joe Biden is the vice president. Uh, now, Joe Biden was very good friends with Harry Reid. Mm -hmm. Harry Reid's district included Area 51. And Harry Reid, as the senator from Nevada, was adamant in talking about UFOs. Joe Biden was his friend. Netflix has announced, or it was in the Hollywood Reporter, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think so, because it was in the Reporter. Hollywood Reporter has announced that the Obamas, Barack and Michelle Obama, are doing a movie on Betty and Barney Hill. Wait a minute. Why are you doing a movie about the Hills when you're on Jimmy Fallon? And Jimmy Fallon asks you about The Tonight Show. Yeah. And Jimmy asks you. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. About Roswell. And your response is not, oh, it didn't happen. That's a myth. Your response is they tell me not to talk about it. That's strange. Very. Now you're doing a, a, a movie about an abduction by extraterrestrials. Now, theoretically, since Betty and Barney Hill were an interracial marriage, before interracial marriages were, um, <clears throat> before the prohibition against interracial marriages was barred by the Supreme Court in 1968 in Loving versus Virginia, the, um, <clears throat> in Virginia, their marriage would have been illegal but they lived in New Hampshire and they take a trip. It's 1961, right at the very beginning of mass civil rights demonstrations. And they take in, Betty's a social worker and Barney works on a president, um, uh, uh, Kennedy civil rights commissions. They go to Canada for a vacation. On the way home, they see a light in the sky as they're driving along country roads Long story short, the light in the sky stops them, lands in a forest. They're dragged out of their car into a UFO, and they don't know what happened, 
they know about the light. They know about the little creatures because they tell their uh, Betty tells her sister the next morning what she remembers. But they wind up in their driveway not knowing what happened for a few hours. Well, Barney is already hypertense. Barney begins begins getting physical ailments. So he goes to a doctor. The doctor says, there's nothing wrong with you. I think you need to see a psychiatrist. Goes to a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist says, you know what? When you tell me this story and you don't remember anything, I know just the doctor who can help you. And he goes to Benjamin Simon. And Benjamin Simon regresses both Betty and Barney, but he doesn't tell them what he learned. They still don't know because he doesn't want their stories to contaminate one another like a good investigator. He gets the tape recordings transcribed, but the transcriber, this, um, this young lady, this transcriber is so, I mean, she hears the story. They're taking aboard a flying saucer. Betty gets amniocentesis. Barney gets suction on his genitals to see what his sperm looks like. They get examined. They're beamed down to their car on the way home. She's blown away. So she's got a friend who writes for the Boston Traveler magazine. And she gives him that story. Within days. That now... The story doesn't say that the Air Force investigated this and found that it was true. The Air Force doesn't say there were other sightings in the area, especially Pease Air Force Base. They don't say that. It's 1961. But they find out that they're the cover of Look Magazine circa 1962. So why would the Obamas do that movie? And here's the funny part about it. I don't think they realize it. Maybe they do. But President Kennedy was so impressed by that story that he demands we go to the moon by the end of the decade. That's why we have the crash program to go to the moon. But then Kennedy is so excited. This is in the book, UFOs mm -hmm. in the White House, whole story. Kennedy is so excited you know he's having an affair with Marilyn Monroe. You know the whole story. In Pillow Talk, Kennedy blurts out, oh, wow, you know, there's a secret air base in Nevada. And at that base, they have things that fell out of outer space. And there are little people from space walking around. Well, Marilyn Monroe, she's an alcoholic. And when Kennedy dumps her, she has an affair with Bobby. Bobby dumps her because Joe Kennedy is furious. The old man, Joe. And she places a call to now. Remember, J. Edgar Hoover knew about Marilyn Monroe and JFK. He hated Marilyn and he hated JFK. And he actually hated the Rat Pack, too. And Marilyn was in the Rat Pack with uh, Frank and Dean and He's tapping the White House. He's tapping Marilyn's phone. The other person very interested in what Marilyn is saying about Bobby Kennedy and JFK is the CIA, who's tapping Marilyn's phone. 
when they hear, and you can read the transcript of that phone call in UFOs in the White House, when they read, when they hear what she's what Kennedy said, they say he's blurting out our most secure national secrets to a drunk while having sex. That's one reason that Marilyn Monroe went. In 1962, she was murdered. I spoke to the person who gave her the drugs. 1962. One year later, Kennedy is assassinated. So that's the impact of UFOs on American policy, at least in terms of Kennedy. Reagan was another story. Ronald Reagan is writing down, again, the uh, the Reagan chapter in, in the book. Ronald Reagan is the host of Death Valley Days, right? Remember GE, Death Valley Days? So he's the host, 20 Mule Team Borax. And driving down Pacific Coast Highway, which is the road that goes along the California coast by the Pacific, he sees a giant UFO overhead. And the giant UFO hovers over his car then floats out over the Pacific and goes in the water. But while it's floating over his car, Reagan gets the strangest message mentally. He gets this message, leave acting, go into politics. Well, Reagan and Nancy look at each other in the car and say, this is unbelievable. They drive onto the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel for a birthday party for William, the actor William Holden. There they tell everybody about their experience. The person who told me about that was Lucille Ball. I love Lucy. And she describes how strange the Reagans were about this event. Sure enough, Reagan runs for governor and wins. Reagan runs, runs for president and wins. And then he's briefed at the White House by George H.W. Bush, his vice president, and Cap Weinberger, Secretary of Defense, on UFOs. That was the reason when Reagan met Gorbachev at Reykjavik, Iceland, Reagan said, wouldn't our petty differences disappear if we were faced with a threat from outer space? He knew, in other words. After that, he stands up before the United Nations. This is the United Nations. And says, wouldn't our national borders all come together and our difference is if we face the threat from, 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 from aliens, aliens from outer space. I mean, this is a president of the United States <laughs> making a hypothetical, but it gets better. They're having, uh, remember the movie E.T., Steven Spielberg's E.T.? They're screening that at the White House. Remember, Ronald Reagan's a movie star. Nancy... Nancy Reagan was Nancy Davis. She was a movie star. So Steven Spielberg is old home week for them. Spielberg's at the White House and they're doing the screening. Oh, everybody's buzzing. What a great movie. The bike going into the air and everything. It's wonderful. Reagan pulls Spielberg aside. Everybody else is talking amongst themselves, right? Reagan, Nancy, Steven Spielberg standing in one section. Reagan leans over to Spielberg's ear and says, you know, we're the only two people in this room that knows that movie is not fiction. Yeah. 
Then as he steps back, he says, he says in a louder voice so people can hear, how come there are so many credits yeah. running at the end of the movie, Credits Steven? are too long. Credits are too long. And Nancy goes, oh, Ronnie, that's how they do things nowadays. Well, you know who told me that story? Steven Spielberg. So that's Ronald Reagan. UFOs have had a major impact on American policy because they've had a major impact on American presidents. George Washington, George Washington's courage at Valley Forge, knowing, knowing his troops had no shoes, their feet were wrapped in gauze, their clothing, it was a dreadful, dreadful Pennsylvania winter. No food. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. No money. Their crops were shot. They're busy fighting in Trenton on Christmas and not taking in their crops. Washington is disconsolate. His army is falling apart. The colonists, the members of the Continental Congress, you can bet they're all going to be hanged. So is Washington. The British are not a forgiving people even today. And the um, he goes in the woods to pray, kneels down, and suddenly he reports seeing a giant orb appears right over his head. And out of the orb come little people. And then he sees a figure robed in white. He says it's robed in white. And that figure shows him the outcome of the war and moves him forward in time to the establishment of the United States of America. He's touched by an alien. How do we know this? Is it myth? Is it rumor? No. The source for this story is President George Washington. Because George Washington went back from that clearing and wrote in his journal what he saw. Where can you find that journal? In UFOs in the White House. That was George Washington, who himself, himself became a ghost and appeared to the Union soldiers at the Battle of Gettysburg, inspiring the main regiment that was holding a hill blocking Pickett's charge to when they ran out of ammunition, to run down the hill, fix bayonets, run down the hill into the teeth of that Confederate army. They did it screaming and yelling. The Confederates ran away. And what's the source of this story? Why the Army War Archives? Because the commander of that main regiment became the president of Bowdoin, and the governor of Maine and secretary of the army. 
So those are some of the key stories in the book. It's just the amount of influence it's had, right? I mean, I mean, was, was, right. it, was it Truman that said UFOs, given that they exist, are not created by any powers on Earth? That's exactly what he said. And he didn't just say it in his bathroom. He said it on television. Yeah. He said it on the You guys, anybody can go to YouTube, type in Harry Truman's statement on UF on flying saucers, up it comes, and you hear the president's voice. So let's just say that George Washington was the first president to have seen a UFO. Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, actually reported on a UFO crash in Louisiana. Who did he report it to? To the American Academy, which was a reputable body of academics. Fact still exists today in, in a different form. He reported a UFO crash, said it was a real thing. So UFOs have had a phenomenal import. I mean, Harry Truman realized, President Truman realized in 1947 that the material, the technology on that crashed craft um, that American defense contractors were working on some of those things, like integrated circuits. Bretain and Shockley, who um, were the ones who are, are credited by patent with developing integrated circuitry, well, the transistor. They had been working for 10 years on that device, 10 years. They knew back then that the transistor had to have a silicon base, but what they couldn't do, which was the purpose of the transistor, the, the transistor was meant to replace the Edison tube, right? The Edison tube can be big, can be small. Current passes through a filament, burning in a vacuum, and that's how you transfer current. What they wanted to do, remember current transfers in, an, in a light bulb, in an Edison tube, in both directions. What they wanted to do was uh, invent a device in which the current travels only in one direction. And it is a, and it only travels one electron at a time. In other words, it's an on-off switch. Couldn't do it. After the crash at Roswell, Harry Truman had um, his um, Secretary of War take whatever technology can be harvested by that from that crash, take it to the Pentagon, and then bring it to whatever company was working on technology similar to that. So they brought it to Bell Labs, Western Electric, where Britain and Shockley have been working on a device to um, take the Edison tube to a new generation. 
that was 1947. By 1948, Bertain and Shockley realized what they'd been missing, that the silicon base had to be doped with another chemical, in this case, arsenic. And when they did that, they were able to get a functioning device. They patented the transistor in 1948. By 1949, they had a, we had a commercial patent on the transistor. By 1950s, we were all walking around with those little pocket radios. So Truman was probably the first president to recognize, even though FDR was aware that um, there were strange objects flying in our skies, Truman was clearly the first president to recognize that there was a technology there that could be harvested. That's what I always <clears throat> that's what I always view as the most important aspect of this is I mean the the common idea right is that religions would fall apart and that is a control structure so I, I get that argument but to me the biggest thing is no this is just the Manhattan Project times a thousand we this is two years after World War II and we're bringing back Nazis clearly technology is our highest sacrament why wouldn't you keep this classified beyond any classification imaginable worse remember that during World War II, Foo Fighters, during, the United States was attacked. Battle of Los Angeles. World, Battle of Los Angeles. I believe the Battle of Los Angeles was um, our own Air Force mystery shopping, but that's a whole other story. Okay. The the um. But we were attacked by what were known in the Defense Department in the War Department as Fugus. Fugus were Japanese fire balloons, Japanese balloon launchers. I mean, China wasn't the first. Yeah. Japanese balloon launchers were launching uh, anthrax-laced balloons with explosives, the explosives to spread the anthrax, across the Pacific to the United States. There was, you know, loose lips and chips. There was... Uh, a prohibition against reporting the landings of these balloons. The reason was, why would local American authorities give Japanese gunners artillery spotter information? Basi yeah, basically giving them yeah, feedback. Right. In the first hours of Roswell, military hours of Roswell, not civilian hours, not civilian hours of Roswell. The army initially thought this was a Japanese fire balloon until Jesse Marcel, the base intelligence officer, Major Marcel, brought the debris back to, um, back to Roswell, back to the uh, Army Air Force Base. That's when they knew there was a problem. The next day, not widely reported, the next day, General Roger Ramey goes from Fort Worth, he flies into Roswell. And there at the Roswell 509th, Roger Ramey holds a staff meeting. Now, remember, he's the general of the 8th Air Force. He's the commander of the 8th Air Force, literally stepping right in 
to Colonel um, Vu Blanchard's command. It's unheard of in the military. You give an order, the order is carried out. Generals make the policy, colonels give the orders. That's how the army works. The um, insurgents carry them out. The um, When Ramey conducts that staff meeting, he reveals there are actually two UFO crashes outside of Roswell. One 40 miles away, one 75 miles away in San Augusto. Sadly, he says, civilian authorities have already begun rolling. The fire department, the sheriff's department are already at the 40-mile crash site. Whatever's there is there. But nobody knows about the 75-mile crash site. So his strategy is hide, cover up the 75-mile crash site. Admit to the 40-mile crash site. So you, Major Marcel, Major, collect all this debris that you collected from the crash site, load it onto a B-29, fly it up to Fort Worth. Let's make the announcement. It's exactly what Marcel does. Except there's one problem. When Jesse Marcel is ready, he's standing in front of the debris at, at, at Fort Worth. Roger Ramey says to him, um, Major, I need you to go into the other room and look at some maps for me. Marcel goes in the other room. Meanwhile, Ramey removes all the Roswell debris, replaces it with a radar balloon. A weather balloon, not a radar balloon. They didn't have radar balloons in 1947. Yeah, yeah. It was a weather balloon. Marcel goes back in the room and Ramey says, here, stand over here, pose with this. You mistook a flying saucer. Uh, you mistook a weather balloon for a flying saucer. <laughs> That's my order. Yeah. Yes, sir. And, and Jesse Marcel becomes the dictionary poster face of an officer stabbed in the back by his commander. Yeah. That's why he left the Air Force. I mean, he was a, he was a major. He went to light colonel. Then we were involved in the Korean War. And I spoke to his son. I spoke to his son, Jess Jr. And his son said that um, when the Korean War broke out, they were living in Huma, Louisiana. Uh, they were uh, they were about to go to Huma, Louisiana, and Major and now he was a light colonel was resigning from the Air Force. He was retiring from the military. His son Jess Jr. was furious at him. He said, "Dad, there's a war on. You're going to go to Colonel before the end of the war. You'll have a general star, and then I, you know, I have a general star." And Major Marcel said, "Never." criticize what I'm doing again. And Jesse told me that was one of the saddest moments of his life when he felt his father had turned on him. Mm. He left the Air Force. And that was the destruction of a whole career. And it was General Roger Ramey, who in 1952 
told General Sanford, who was the head of Air Force Intelligence at a time when UFOs were just flying circles around our jets over Washington, D.C. and Chesapeake Bay and all over the United States in the summer of 52. He says to um, uh, General Sanford, whatever you do, whatever excuse you make, whatever you have to tell the public, these are not flying saucers. And that's exactly what happened. Even though we shot one of these things down, crashed in Braxton County, West Virginia, actually deployed a defensive mechanism, a robot, to keep the tourists away. And we actually had an army unit around the site to keep people away from the site until UFOs came and took it away. UFOs have been a part of American history and American presidential history. Um, remember, who was president? Harry Truman was the president in the summer of 1952. And who comes into office? Eisenhower. Yes. Who gets briefed by MJ-12. Yep. The... And what Eisenhower does, remember what Eisenhower does right as he gets into office. Very important. First thing he does, now think about this. Think about this. He declares an armistice in Korea with the North Koreans. And he doesn't, he gets us out of that war. We didn't win the Korean War. The Korean War on the peninsula is still going on today, right? Kim Jong-un. But he gets us out. He says it's an unwinnable war. When have you seen that since? Uh, Kabul? Vietnam? Yeah, no, Kabul. That's what Joe Biden did, exactly what Eisenhower did in 1953. He says, you know what? We're never going to win this war. It is chewing up American troops. Get out. Yeah, it's going to go on forever, yeah. Yeah, it'd be on forever. And it's, exactly. And, you know, and it's every, uh, everyone criticizes, and I'm the military general. I have a biology degree, and I guess my rationale is, like, you had to pull the Band-Aid off. It was never going to it was never going to be pretty. Exactly. Just get out. And who knew that the Afghan government was so corrupt, it would crumble in seconds. Yeah. He thought because the CIA told him that's what to think about, that it would uh, at least last long enough for the United States to at least try to broker a compromise here. So so that's what happened. What was the next thing Eisenhower did after getting out of Korea in 1953? It's now 1954. Created DARPA. In 1954, besides creating DARPA, here's what he did. There was a Marine contingent. I spoke to one of the Marines long, long, long ago. Um, there was a United States Marine contingent with the French Foreign Legion at the NBN Phu in Vietnam. When the, North, when the Vietnamese attacked, when the Viet Minh, not the, uh, not the Viet Cong, but the Viet Minh attacked, the NBN Fu, the French said to Eisenhower, send in the Marines, let's defeat them. Eisenhower said, we're not going to fight in Vietnam. What's the point of fighting in Vietnam to protect French rubber plantations? I'm fighting for Michelin now. American troops have to die in, in, in rice paddies for a French tire company. What did he do? The Marines fought their way out into the jungle. The French were helicoptered out. And Vietnam fell to 
the Viet Minh. So again, why fight a war you know you can't win? What's the point? Just killing American troops. So what does Eisenhower do? Now he has a secret vacation at uh, in, at this country club in Georgia. Yeah, said he chipped his tooth on fried chicken or something. Right. He invited um, he invited Mamie Dowd's mother, right? His mother-in-law. Well, they're all playing golf. Eisenhower jumps on a plane, flies to California. There in Europe, he has a meeting with the delegation of the aliens. And they structure exactly the same kind of deal Eisenhower will structure with Khrushchev years later. It is open skies. Look, we don't want to shoot at you. You don't want to shoot at us. Yeah. Just surveil us, but don't attack us. But open skies, give us your technology. And that's what happened. That's what happened in the 1960s. That's why the 1960s, uh, that's why the 1950s through the 60s were the golden age of American technology. And it's also from Korea. It's the same idea. This is an unwinnable war. Yeah, it's the same idea. <laughs> we're not fighting you the Greys. And so when Francis Gary Powers was shot down, now you want to talk about balloons. Um, <laughs> yeah. when, we were flying, when we were flying U-2s over Russia, we were flying them low enough that the Russian radars could pick them up and Russia could mobilize its air defenses. Then they rose so that the missiles would fall short. That was part of the purpose of the U-2s. It was surveilling how the Russians, in fact, um, maybe 40 years ago, uh, Chris Wallace was at ABC. He um, had a group of um, U-2 pilots discussing what they were doing, how they would fly the route to trigger the radars. You know who was on that show with him? Philip Corso from Day After Roswell, because Phil Corso was there because he was in United States Army Intelligence at the time. There was to trigger the radars. Francis Gary Powers flew too low, hit by a missile, exploded under his aircraft, and he, and he crashed. Eisenhower structured with, with a Khrushchev an open skies agreement. That's exactly what he did. He said, we're going to fly over you, you fly over us. The last thing we want is a mistake in launching a missile. And so those are how presidents dealt with the UFO phenomena and how they built it into their policy for their administration. Um, and I know I've only got you for, for 10 more minutes. I could keep talking to you, but I, I told you I'd let you go. Is, is the moon, right? Is, and I've, mm -hmm. I've interviewed Charlie Duke four times before. He was on Apollo 16. And only on the last one did I try to try to bring in the alien question. And you know, he, he said basically you know, he, he believes they exist, but he didn't, didn't give me any, any groundbreaking uh, uh, truth. But not that I expected he would. But could you maybe go into that and the veracity of that? Because that is, right, that's the quote of they're like they're large, they're surrounding us on this crater, they're, you know, we, like, well, yeah, I mean, um, Donna Hare. First of all, 
when we did our NASA episode for UFO Wonders, we spoke to two people. We spoke to um, John Schusler, who was one of the directors of NASA, and Donna Heer, who was a technician at NASA. And here's what John Schusler said. He said, at most federal agencies, NASA is no excuse. There's a small, he said, it's a small group of people who have special access protocols. Mm -hmm. That when there's something like a flying saucer sighting or stuff, it's only that group that meets no one else. I said, well, who's in the group? John Schuster looked at me and said, I could tell you, but I wouldn't be alive tomorrow morning. Hmm. Spoke to Donna here. And there's another person too. Donna here was looking at prints of photographs of the moon. On one print, she saw a black triangle. It was a spacecraft. She said, whose is that spacecraft? The photo technician looked at the spacecraft and said, oh, I'll take care of this. And he airbrushed it out. And she said, she said, you airbrushed it out? Why are you doing that? And he said, oh, because there are no flying saucers on the moon. Years ago, I spoke to, um, he's now a, a, a psychotherapist, this person, Carl Wolf. Yeah. I've, I've, you I've, know, watched his, I've watched his interviews, yeah. Same thing. He is a photo technician at an Air Force base. The Air Force base has a certain side of it that is so classified that he can't go there. Yeah. He clearance. On a Sunday, he's manning the Photoshop. Lazy Sunday, right? Nobody's working. Nobody's flying missiles at us. Nobody's bombing us. It's lazy Air Force day. Guy comes over from the other side, says to him, hey, um, we have a special photo machine that's not working. We need your technology. He says, I'm not, I'm not classified to go over there. I, I, I can't go over there. He says, no, 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 I'll take you over there. They go over there. He's astonished at the people from different countries. He says, what are Chinese people doing at this base? Yeah. I understand it. They're, people don't speak English here. They go into a room. He looks at the device. He's, it's a printer. I mean, it's what it is. Yeah. Um, he looks at it. He's, oh, um, I can't. I don't have the tools. You don't have tools here. What? It has to go back to my shop. I can. I can. I know what's wrong with it. Right? Parts are there. So the two of them take this classified printer. It's got classified files in it. To the unclassified side of the base, there Carl adds the parts he needs to add, sets it up, out comes a strip of photos of factories on the moon. Giant structures. And so the guy says to, to, to Wolf, yeah, we've had these for a while. Well, Carl Wolf is so astounded, he doesn't mask his surprise. And the guy suddenly realizes that Carl Wolf is not classified to see this and he and he says to wolf says to his face we're both dead that's my that's my favorite moon story i know that is i've watched i've watched an interview with him so many times i i think he i think he actually died not too long ago i think he, was he in, did on him 
It's a shame. Yeah, he was uh, in a, a car accident or a, a motorcycle accident. Um, I always loved that interview, and he's talking about it, and he's like, I was very excited, and he goes, and then I got very, very fearful of, uh, I shouldn't know this. I should not that, know this. Take like take this evil <laughs> off me. We published his story in UFO magazine, and he said, I'm so afraid. And then in the year 2000, he, fl- he uh, uh, you know, the story about Grove is like a Y2K theorist. He um, he was so upset. He lived in Beverly Hills. He was so upset about Y2K. He thought the world was going to come to an end. I said, Carl, don't worry. He says, no, no, no. I'm very worried. He, he, he moves out to Kern County, California. There's no one in Kern County, California. And that's where he's living. Y2K passes and the world is still there. So he sold everything. He goes back to Beverly Hills and has to start over again. <laughs> See that? It's, I guess in the in the this will be just wild speculation, but right there's all the ideas of the right the missiles fired from Vandenberg and whenever they go to space they get shot down and the ICBM silos at Maelstrom being deactivated and there are all these stories. Now that right, we're... I think I believe. I believe that um, there will be no such thing as a bilateral or a multilateral nuclear exchange. Well, fire missiles, they're just not going to go off. Yeah. Just like Vandenberg. Yeah. Um, just like Bonstrom, uh, where there was a no-go on the uh, board. And no matter what they – and this is a hardwired board, so this is not radio control. No. Yeah, these are all – all the silos are separate. This is for exactly. that reason. Exactly. So that if one goes down, but they all went down. They all were no go. While our light was hovering overhead at the Air Force Base. And there are security people who had serious PTSD problems because of that. Then they came back on when the light left. Same thing happened in Russia, only it was the reverse in Russia. So what is it, 86 or 87? The... um, the missiles went active. They began fueling. Launch codes were entered. The controllers were beside themselves because they had no control over the guided missiles. They realized they're headed for the United States. There's going to be a nuclear war with the United States and Russia if they can't stop these missiles. They contact Moscow Center. Moscow Center can't cut the power off. Finally, with minutes to go, the light disappears, the missile shut down. The message is clear. They, I believe they are overlords. They, I believe they're us actually. They will not let us destroy ourselves. Not this time. We did it before. Yeah. It's, this is, Probably the third civilization on this planet. I always think of it as like laissez-faire parenting. Mm-hmm. Like my dad, I have incredible parents, and my dad was my dad was very like hands-off. It was like don't fail out of school, don't get anyone pregnant, don't go to jail. Aside from that, like you're gonna learn, you're gonna learn on your own. That's right. I kind of think that's what this is. They'll ha- they'll let they'll let wars go on, they'll let genocides occur. They won't let us bleach the planet with radioactivity that's my theory right. 
Right. I mean, this is a whole new game for them now. Mm -hmm. That's why they cared so much when we were um, enriching uranium and plutonium in 1945. That was the reason. Oh, the kids are playing with matches, honey. Yeah. And it's, I always think about this and, and then I'll let you go. And I'd love to have you on again another time, man. I, I feel like you and I could go down some rabbit holes, but I'll, I'll wrap up with this really short story. When I was a freshman in high school, we'd all go to my friend's house. This is before we discovered alcohol and we'd set off like bottle rockets in the cul-de-sac. And then we'd go hide under his mom's car and we'd lower the garage and we would just wait. And it would take like 15 minutes. Cause we'd shoot these things. They go light people's lawns on fire and we're, we're 15, right? And it'd take 15 minutes, and you'd see a cop car roll by, and they'd shine the light. And in hindsight, now that I'm 32, I'm like, they definitely knew where we were, and they were just making sure that we were scared. And we get all scared. But so what happened? There was an event with some kids acting stupid with explosives, harming other property, and then geographically and temporally, a higher authority came nearby, right? Mm-hmm. So then I think about Alamogordo, New Mexico, July 16th, 1945. A bomb. And then July 1947, Roswell, out of the entire planet, it's 117 miles away. Out of all the time, they come two years later. Is that not a cop car rolling by with the flashlight out, just giving you a little scare, going, we know what you're doing? I always think about that. Well, before Roswell. Well, of course, there was a ton. Well, there was the Kenneth Arnold sighting yeah. over the very places where, uh, over Mount Rainier, mm-hmm. but they were coming from Oak Ridge. I mean, they were coming back from Washington State where they were surveilling our, um, we were then by 1947, by 1946-47, we'd, it was Adams, it, was, it wasn't Adams for peace yet, but we recognized that there was a whole new method of uh, power production. And so that's what uh, uh, they were surveilling when Kenneth Arnold saw them in, in uh, over Mount Rainier in 1947. Right. That's when he coined uh, flying saucers. Right. That was how the term they were. They were actually etch, uh, triangular shaped. They were echelon shaped. But he said they skimmed across the air, which meant they zipped in and out of reality like saucers skimming over water. And that's how they got the name. Could you maybe... And if, if you need to go, I'll let you go. But could you maybe explain what you meant by uh, they're us is the idea that they're us from the future and they're kind of coming back or they're us okay. like as a, a surviving race? Okay, real quick. Okay. Uh, I don't think that aliens are different from us. I think that my on UFO hunters for those three seasons, I was approached by some very strange people when we weren't shooting. Back in 1976, so you know how far back this goes, right? Back in 1976, we hosted Isaac Asimov at Princeton. And uh, after he spoke, we were all talking in um, outside the um, Makash Auditorium. And he, I asked him, I said, you know, it, it, it has to be funny that you're a science fiction writer, but colleges are teaching, this is in the 70s now, colleges are teaching courses in robotics. 
and colleges are teaching courses in psychohistory, which is really evolutionary sociology, but it's psychohistory based on foundation and empire. And he looked at me and he said, foundation and empire may be science, but it's not fiction. That same thing was said to me by somebody who um, was involved with the French Cometa report on UFOs, who said to me, Isaac Asimov knew that what he wrote about in Foundation and Empire was largely true, that they are here, they're on this planet, they look just like us because they are us, they never left, we're their descendants, and they run things. That's why they're so upset over nuclear energy, because it gets out of control. George Hoover, who, if you read Ivan T. Sanderson's book on, uh, on the paranormal, was tasked by the Office of Naval Intelligence to um, determine what was the cause of the, um, of the Philadelphia experiment. It was, wasn't traveling in time the um he said that the navy had its own intelligence study of ufos the way the army did and that what they discovered was not only that they're here they've been here for millions of years but underground but beneath the water but we have because they're us we have the same skills they did, but their society almost destroyed itself by the functioning of these skills. Therefore, they're here to make sure we don't do the same thing. I like it. I think reality is absurd enough that I don't think that that is that wild of an idea. I really don't. <laughs> No, they are us. I mean, Borisov and Oumuamua, those two comets, which Avi Loeb at Harvard says are spaceships, they are. All you need to have a spaceship is to set an asteroid in motion, cover it with water, have it spin in a crazy way, the way these asteroids are spinning, go through a universe of planets that may actually be habitable underwater, they terraform the planets. That's how Earth was formed. Hmm. Yeah, just come and seed viable planets. Yeah. I mean, um, when you realize we were formed by um, chunks of Mars being blown off in the early in the early formation of the solar system, landing in our water, we're actually Martians, not Earthlings. Mm. Yeah. It has to come from somewhere. And mm -hmm. when you look a caveman trying to grasp this iMac and iPhone, you have to extrapolate that again. Right. Exactly. Matt, right? We'll, we'll end with this. I mean, Arthur C. Clarke, right? Any, mm -hmm. any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. Sort of That's exactly the whole point. Yeah. That's how you explain technology you can't understand. Yeah. Magic. 
Dr. Burns, that was awesome, man. I would uh I'd love to have you on again sometime. This is my anyone that's watched this show from the beginning, the original, you know, this is episode one thousand one hundred and twenty. I've been on the UFO, I've interviewed Lynn Katide, the Phoenix Lights, um uh, Nick Pope from uh the Ministry of Defense's UFO at the Rendlesham Forest. I love this stuff. This is my this is my cup of tea. So this is uh this was special for me. Thank you. If we talk next time, since um there is a relationship between Dr. Feelgood, the guy who was the doctor for John F. Kennedy, and UFOs. I'd love to explain that. The methamphetamine shots. And we'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave that there as a teaser. Here it is. Dr. Burns, thank you so much. I'll send you an email after this. We'll schedule another one. Thank you for your time. Guys, go grab the book. If you like this podcast, go grab the book. It's this podcast, but 10 times longer. It's fantastic. Dr. Burns, you're a cool dude. Thank you so much for coming on here. Till next time, brother. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Take care, everybody. Thanks for watching. Peace.